I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. It didn't work. You don't own me. I'm not your property. So take a shifty little bitty eyes off of me. Ha! I'm out. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, our weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show, and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode of The Handmaid's Tale Season 3 premieres on SBS and at SBS On Demand. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS. And I'm joined by my colleagues and fellow resistors, Natalie Handley of SBS Voices. Hi. Sana Kadar of ABC Life. Hello. And Hayley Island of SBS On Demand. Hi. And baby Greta, who is currently asleep. And hopefully stays that way. (laughs) In this episode, we see a new addition to the Handmaid's uniform. It's a bit of a grim one. For some insight into this new addition to the Handmaid's costume, we are going to hear from the new costume designer of The Handmaid's Tale, Natalie Bronfman. So do stick around for that. Now, we have just watched episode six of season three of The Handmaid's Tale. And this one is called Household. All together again. Isn't this nice? June accompanies the Waterfords to Washington, D.C. Welcome to Washington. Where a powerful family offers a glimpse of the future of Gilead. They have a handmaid. And it ain't pretty. Blessed are the silent. June makes an important connection as she attempts to protect Nicole. What would you like us to know? And we also get some insight into Nick. Dun dun. Is that a place to start? I mean, I'm, normally we go around the room, but I dare say I know what Sana's uh, outtake from this episode is going to be. I am so heartbroken that he was a soldier in the crusade. That was a shock. You know, that's an understatement. But I mean, it was so great to see him again. <laughs> I was on such a high. And then we all came crashing so far down. I don't really know what to make of that because clearly he, I think he regrets his role in the crusade and in the formation of Gilead. You know, everything he's done since then kind of gives you that sense. But oh my God, like he must have been really taken in with the vision of Gilead if he went to go fight for it. And it sounds like he was a pretty big deal. Sounds like it, the way Serena tells that he was. And the way all those soldiers scramble when he enters the plane, like, uh, yeah, I'm kind of freaked out now. Commander Blaine. Commander Blaine. (laughs) (laughs) I actually don't believe it. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I feel like at least now we understand why... Fred and Serena have trusted him so much. We've yes. always been a little bit confused by that. Like, yeah. how is he still surviving in this house? And it's because they know what he has done before. But he's always been a mystery. But I was thinking about him and about, you know, there's that saying which um, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Mm-hmm. And, yes, I've been thinking about that with Serena. <laughs> but I also think about it with Nick and he has shown us who he is and he is lovely and loving and caring and knows exactly what this place is. So I really hope The Hermes Tale does not break my heart like this. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And I think back to when he gave the letters to Luke, well, that was such a loving gesture when he was in Toronto to actually 
carry through with that. Well, A, I want to say last season, I think I might have said, is Nick who we think he is? Yeah, so I wonder if next episode we might see something around that. Yeah. Also, is Nick who we think he is? We know he's not. Not to say I told you so, but I guess I just did. Um, <laughs> how much have we been projecting, we being you two, onto <laughs> Nick what you want? But also, yes, is this true? Who knows? He gives just really good say. hugs, you know? <laughs> Someone who gives hugs like that good can't kisses be too. evil. All right. <laughs> On the neck, by the way. <laughs> Not that I noticed. <laughs> Haiti, so, Haiti, come in here, please. Save us from this. <laughs> I, I've also been a little bit reserved on my feelings towards Nick over, uh, over the course of the series. Yes. Although I don't really speak up about it, but I was kind of reflecting on what we have found out about Nick in the past that was maybe hinting at this. And way back, I don't know if you guys remember, but way back in like series one, we had a Nick flashback to before mm-hmm. Gilead and he was at like a career counsellor oh. um, getting yeah. some like career advice. And that counsellor was telling him about this religious group that had helped give him some direction and that he should really come along to a meeting and that it was called the Sons of Jacob. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I kind of just went, oh, you know, whatever. And that person turned out to be Commander Price, Correct. who uh, later became the head of the eyes. And we know that Nick oh, is an eye. Right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And that Commander Price was his boss up until the point that he uh, was like killed, killed in the Red Centre attack <laughs> yeah. last season. And I just completely overlooked that back oh, then. I all of that. But on reflection, I'm like, oh, maybe he went along to this meeting, became a son of Jacob, and was actually voluntarily involving himself in the sons of Jacob before Gilead was established, and that he wasn't coerced into any of this, as we've all assumed. And I think that hint was way back there in mm. series one. Yeah. Damn, no, I missed yeah. it. He, he, it clearly was a path for him. He must have, who knows what his background was, but he was a job seeker and it seemed like a way, a bit of a gateway to a brighter future. Yeah. <laughs> if only he knew, but. Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering, you know, is he still loyal to Gilead? Is June and his love for June the only exception to that? You know, is that the reason why he's helped out with the letters that, you know, he couldn't sleep with his with his uh, young wife? Um, (laughs) You know, is 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 she the exception to the rule? Is he actually loyal to Gilead? Like, and, you know, now and now we know why he's going to the front, why he's going to Chicago, because he's he's good at this kind of thing. You know, Mm. he's um, he's a soldier. soldier. Yeah. Yeah. He does say to June here when she's entreating him to speak to the Swiss, you get in bed with the government. It's not so easy to get out. So mm-hmm. is he speaking from experience? Mm. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> but and also, I, does he really want to get out? Who knows? Let's, there's a brighter future. This is not solely a Nick episode for us. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel we need to devote this time given since well, we've got the, the Nick Blaine corner. I did actually think it was a Nick episode because you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought we have had, we've had a Serena episode. We've had, you know, this is the first time we've actually got the yeah. most of Nick in a, long, in a long time. So it sort of felt like they have thrown him his... Five minutes you yes. know, of the season. Yes, but this um, is not solely a Nick podcast. But no, no, no. <laughs> Fair enough. More with my point. The, the yep. one other thing I wanted to um, raise about Nick in this episode, while we're talking about him, is um, in the scene where they were shooting the prayer, the first prayer scene, and Waterford setting it all up and directing it all and getting it all ready, and then suddenly Nick turns up. I was like, "What's he doing there?" Like, and he makes a comment to Waterford that. Commander Winslow sent him along and it got me thinking, we know that Nick is an I and we know that Commander Price is dead and we, we haven't found out who his new boss is. Is his new boss Commander Winslow? Is Winslow an I as well? Potentially. So yes. Hi, Commander Winslow. He's a notch up. Um, 
Natalie, what stood out for you in this one? Well, last week when I said sometimes when we ask for things, we don't <laughs> we don't really know. <laughs> we think we want it, but do we really? And I asked for horror last week. <laughs> and yeah, uh, we got it. And look, I actually thought it was really, really good. I will say that I cried my eyes out with it as well. Mm. I would, I've cried more in that episode than I have in all the episodes so far, which wow. I was quite surprised by. And I realised it's just me as well. Yes. <laughs> I've already asked Haiti and she didn't cry in that part. And yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't <laughs> with cry With the either. reveal of the lips. No, it wasn't with no. the reveal. And so so this, it has to be my favourite moment, but it's also the horrifying moment. But it was actually between Aunt Lydia and June oh, yes. and when they were both crying together and that's it. That mm-hmm. I just lost it. Yep. I'm going to play the role you played last week and I have to be like, I did not get that at all. I was like, what is happening? Why? why there? Are, how is this friendship going on? I was quite surprised that Lydia was like that heartbroken over the, you know, the lips being caged up when she's, you know, fine with destroying sexual function. She's fine with destroying sight. But like a speech is a step too far. I, I just found that hard to buy a little bit. I guess that's why I found it moving was because mm. this is a woman who's pretty okay with horror, you know, and she's treated these handmaids so badly. Janine's lost an eye, for, for instance, you know. Like Emily. Emily, oh, yeah. my God. And I, and I thought, wow, is, is this actually a step too far, even for Aunt Lydia? Like, yes. that's how bad this is. We shall come back to the Lydia stuff. Yeah, good. Haiti, what, what stood out for you? My favourite moment was the thousands of handmaids at Washington Square kneeling down in front of June, taking her lead in yes. the public prayer, which in the context of that scene was was not very good, but this kind of cheeky glimmer of June as some kind of leader was mm. what I liked about that moment. Yeah, no, it was great. Yeah, good pickup. Yeah. yeah. And for me, it was a little thing, but not so little to either June or Serena, but, um, and nice that baby Greta made a noise there because it's about baby feet and um, mm. the Serena... Looks like she's kneeling to pray when they get to the Winslow house, but she's kneeling to look at little baby Nicole's little tootsies on the, uh, on the, on the sheet of paper there. Simultaneously, June is drawing little baby feet on the, win- on the frosty window, which is a nice moment about them thinking about their daughter. <laughs> Use yep. that advisedly. Um, but also, I think in this episode, and actually in the season to date, it's been baby steps. <laughs> like June is baby steps towards resistance. So anyway, quite like that. So this one opens with June walking the streets of Gilead, passing some Marthas who are making a very visible display of engaging in individual prayer longing for the return of baby Nicole, which is interesting given the Martha's and their role <laughs> in getting baby Nicole out, but they're being seen to be wanting to return this precious baby angel back to <laughs> Gilead. <laughs> and uh, June has a classic line there of, she's got her own prayers going on, which include Serena coming to her senses. May she see past her broken heart and remember that Nicole is better off where she is. May she convince Fred to let things lie. Or may they both get hit by a fucking truck. I'm honestly down for either. (laughs) Love that. Yeah, she'd be fine with either option. And when she gets home, Lawrence breaks the news that she's on a secondment to the Waterford, I want to say household, uh, (laughs) which is on the move en route to the capital, DC, for a very public display of force slash grieving slash another media stunt to convince Canada to 
give the old baby back. And it's a train trip <laughs> off to DC with Lydia, whole bunch of Marthas en route to the capital, which looks a lot different in a lot of ways. It's had a makeover since current contemporary Washington. <laughs> They've knocked down Union Station and rebuilt it in more of a Gilead-friendly fashion. The Washington Monument. <laughs> that was creepy. It's oh, been goodness. remade as a crucifix. Yeah. Intriguing. What do we think about New Look Washington and the way they do things there? Well, it's clearly more devout, more conservative. The escalators, when they arrive at Union Station, I'm pretty sure they're sex segregated. Yes, very much. Which is kind of terrifying. And you see the women with their mouths covered. And and Lydia remarks that, oh, there's the, the, the devotion. She's pumped. Ah, I'm pumped. She's, she's <laughs> pumped. She's loving life over there until she doesn't anymore. But yeah, like it's pretty terrifying. Yeah, the, the presence of the law enforcement and the difference in the way people dress in Washington is the most striking difference for me. And we might get into it later, but the the costume... The new addition to the, the handmade outfit? New addition to the handmade outfit and and uh, even the, the Marthas and or maybe the O'Connor people we see on the escalator, they're all wearing um, lots of additional veils over their mouths. Yes, very much so. Well, they do have this concept of silence, and that's what they're calling it, uh, which, yeah, we will probably dig a little deeper in there. Um, let's get there. So at the station there, there is the reunion of all the elements of the Waterford household, bar one, Nick, not Nick Blaine. Uh, Rita gets reunited with June. It's nice, really gets some lines this time. And June is intrigued by going to Washington because she gets some FaceTime with Serena. So that's why she's there. There's opportunity in this trip for her to get into Serena's ear to A, call in that favour <laughs> that she hasn't mm-hmm. done yet, but also to just shake Serena out of this divergent path. <laughs> she, she thinks she has an ally in her. So anyway, but Fred, oh my God, Fred is feeling confident about getting the, the girls back. He's very much, he's very image conscious this episode yes. and he brings it up a lot, sort of the the presentation element of these media stunts um, and, yeah, and also making a good impression on High Commander Winslow. I was just going to add there, in the book, there's a reference to Commander Waterford having worked in marketing in pre-Gilead times and I think they're inferring that here as well by suggesting that uh, he's very concerned with appearance and PR and what they present to the world. That's interesting, especially the way he says... Trust me. This, I know about. This, I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't know much else, but I got this. (laughs) (laughs) And so they go to the house of the Winslows. We've talked about the houses that commanders get. High commanders get very nice estates Mm. and... Fred, I mean, he, he's pumped. He's giddy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, at the doorstep there, it's, uh, yeah, this is an opportunity, which Serena calls him on. <laughs> <laughs> who for exactly? And yeah, in the pecking order, Nicole gets, she's a bit lower on the list of people who might benefit from this visit. Anyway, they're standing waiting for Winslow. I think importantly, it's a sign of his character. He makes them wait quite a while, clearly. He's got conference calls. He's a big man, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> this whole visit to me felt like Christmas. <laughs> like it start like for, like for a start it's snowing and you know whenever we watch American movies where it's snowing it's pretty much always Christmas <laughs> and um and when they arrive and the house is 
beautiful and big and then they're in like the living room where you can just imagine a tree in the corner mm. sort of a thing and then all the kids come running in excitedly. It all mm. just felt to me and it kind of was Serena's Christmas, you know, yeah, and that yeah, was really. just that was just her ideal day, her ideal moment. She got to see a, a glimpse of the future in this house. So, yeah, in the beginning she was saying to Fred, you know, here was this an opportunity for, but she changed her chin by the end where yeah. she actually thought they were going to be moving yeah. to Washington and she liked that idea. Yeah. She wants what they have, you know, <laughs> all of it. All six kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Winslows clearly embody everything that Serena and, and Fred want, you know, is this intelligent um, wife with all these children and she's happy or she seems happy and he's this high commander who has all this power and influence and it's what Fred clearly aspires to as well. So mm-hmm. this household's kind of like there to to tempt Fred and Serena. It was this, all power well, and have. prestige. Yeah. 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 them all over. And performance. I mean, yeah, the six kids, come on. And a handmaid. And June cannot believe it. What, they've still got a handmaid too? Mm -hmm. Rita can't believe it. Rita's reactions in this are quite interesting. She's going on about all the kids. And actually on the escalators on the way there, the way Rita reacts to Serena, like all she wanted, this is all she ever wanted, the baby. So Rita kind of gets why Serena's acting the way she is. Also, the only contact she's had is with Serena for the Mm. last couple of weeks. So (laughs) it's probably Mm. a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome there. She's (laughs) only been talking to Serena. But... In the household, they're going up the stairs with June. She's asking a few questions like, have you ever seen someone with so many kids? It's, I'm used to only three. But, yeah, it's the way there are abundance of children mm-hmm. in this childless landscape is very telling and it speaks to their, to their position. It made me wonder why Commander Lawrence doesn't have any kids because he's, you know, pretty senior as someone who was the architect of the colonies mm. shortly. He might not be a high commander. But actually, why doesn't he have... Any children? You think someone of that stature? I mean, he probably doesn't actually want any children is my yeah. sense, but uh, surely for appearances sake, he should mm. actually have some kids too. And now. why don't people mention that? Yeah, no one m- mentions it. Because children are a symbol of power in yeah. this show. And if you want to get ahead and if you're trying to climb that career ladder, for men in this world, unlike women in the real world, the more children you have, the higher up you go, which probably speaks to how Commander Winslow got there. But it sounds like Commander Lawrence, he was already at the top. Like, mm. it sounds like if he was one of the original architects, he's had he's had a lot of power from the get-go. Maybe the fact that, maybe the fact that weirdly, it's kind of inverse, that the fact that he doesn't have children is actually now a symbol of just how high he is because he mm. actually doesn't need them to get a promotion or to have power there. Yeah. He doesn't need the status symbol. Yeah. And his wife doesn't talk about wanting kids either. So, like, yeah, there's, there's a definite lack potentially of And yet they keep getting handmaids. They keep getting that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but they're always, you know, very badly behaved handmaids, yeah, yeah. it seems yeah. like. But um, that's interesting you say that about how, like, the kids equal power in Gilead because that's what the psalm at the end of the show that Fred reads out is all about. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies. Hear our prayer. Which is actually... um the basis of the Quiverful movement. Have you heard of this? It's a conservative Christian movement in the States where basically they eschew all birth control and yeah, the idea is the more kids, the merrier, the holier. And mm. do you know the show 19 Kids and Counting, that yep. TLC show with the Duggars? Like, I, I believe they were part of the Quiverful movement. So it's a whole thing. Like, this is not by accident that they're talking about that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And on that, Mrs. Winslow, who is played by Elizabeth Reza, the comment that June catches and gives a deadly stare to was, because Serena asks, you know, 
are these all yours? Yes. <laughs> of Who else's would they be? Even though they're, you know, African-American, South Asian, yeah, there's, yeah. you know, a whole, whole group of them. Yeah, there's a lot of women uh, who would answer that question differently. <laughs> that scene was topped and tailed actually quite nicely as well because it started with the shot of the, the birds in the cages and yes. you see the bars and the birds are chirping throughout the scene and then that's replaced with the kids chirping and then it ends with the, the doors closing as June and Rita leave and there's bars across those doors too and you see the kids caged in in the living room as well. So it was this cage motif that you see again um, sort of on the lips of the women once that big reveal happens as well. Yeah, nicely observed, yeah. Mm. And so from there, they do go upstairs to their quarters. June is sharing with the handmaid of George and that is where the big reveal happens. She thinks she's just a little bit shy maybe, Mm. (laughs) doesn't want to talk, but then there is the reveal of her lips have been, Mm -hmm. her lips Uh, have been permanently sealed. I would use the term stapled. (laughs) Yeah. Um, they look like little iron bars well, or something. Well, they're rings. They've sort of been in. Right. Yeah. Oh, so, God. Oh, God. Yeah, she, she is mute because she has forcibly been silenced with the rings in her mouth. So we've talked about the veil, the new veil that the handmaids are sporting. Um, this whole hard line, harder line mm-hmm. uh, version of Gilead is very confronting. You know, you see June's reaction immediately. Her hands go to her mouth because that's just a natural response to that. And I think here it's probably a good time to bring in some audio that I took when I was on the set of (laughs) the show. I don't know if I've mentioned that before. And we did a tour of the costume department and met the new costume designer, Natalie Bronfman, who explains the origins of the veil and the manufacture. So here's what she had to say about the new costume. This, the premise of this was that the only parts exposed on the handmaids literally was the décolleté, and this would sit and cover that as well, and then this would go like so. So you have the only thing left exposed is this basically, and you've got the wings on which cover your eyes, and you're always looking down. So now you cannot see, you cannot speak. Yeah. You're completely. You know, you're almost deafened as well because everything covers mm. everything. So, um, and with this design, there's only two on here, but on the cast ones, um, these are fur hooks. They're quite industrial, mm. which is sort of a, and they lock. Yeah. Wow. So it is, there's sort of a juxtaposition of this light, fluffy fabric with these heavy duty hooks. Because all the women now, all the females are veiled in some form. I had to be careful not to appropriate any particular mm. culture. I myself am Jewish, so I went with the kippah and a veil for the for the commander wives. In the Middle East, or sort of Lebanon, Israel, the the um, ladies wear much bigger headcloths and they wrap it around. And the premise for the Marthas was that when they went out, they could just undo one of those and then tuck it in, sort of behind. Right. The Econo ladies, for example, were because they're worker bees and they're always layered. They're wearing a cowl neck that they let, literally just pull up over their ears, and then that covers everything as well. And the aunts. This is sort of the underside of a wimple, and their mouths are not covered because they're the ones who bark orders. But their hair is covered because that's also a pious thing, Mm. covering hair. So that's where this sort of research came from. But I think the wives, it's more decorative. Yes, the wives... It's not about silence. Exactly. They have to cover it, and it ended up only coming to below their nose, so their mouths are exposed, which is actually a very sensuous part, even though they're not allowed to be sensuous. And the handmaid was just simply to silence them. Mm. uh, and, And again, I did not want to appropriate anything because also a nose is also very much is very expressive really Mm. people don't think of noses being expressive but if you flare your nostrils you're angry Mm. so this is how we can still read through their eyes and then there are other expressions and the other things that are left to see because there isn't much else other than that part now so yeah there is a scene where this is presented to Offred 
or June, I should say, by Aunt Lydia in a beautiful case that looks like as if it was a communion box with an op- or a wedding dress box. Mm. And it's presented to her. It's like, here you <laughs> go. Thanks. Here's yours. <laughs> and then it's put on her. So we were, we were going into the... This is sort of what the handmaid looks like without the cape on. It's completely covered now. She doesn't have the wings on here, but it's just... And this is sort of what it looks like on. Oof. And underneath that, because it's already come out on the internet, there are three rings in their lips. Uh, it's, it's posted. Silence. It's called silence. Completely no speaking, nothing. It's really interesting to hear that it was very consciously not modelled on the burqa because that's initially what my reaction was, seeing that I was like, oh, it's getting more burqa-esque like, you know, um, because that's, I think, the only sort of visual reference we have for that level of veil happening. But that's really interesting to hear talk about it. Yes. And the other woman you heard there uh, is Kim Todd, uh, the show producer as well. So they were both um, giving us a tour of the costume department. At one point, Fred mentions when they're about to meet the Swiss and they want to meet with June on her own. And they, Fred says... Well, she's here as a member of my household in our culture. It wouldn't be appropriate. In our culture, that wouldn't be appropriate. And I was like, oh, my God, the amount of times growing up that I heard that to, you know, as a way of being told I couldn't do something or whatever else. In our culture, you know, we, we dress modestly. In our culture, we don't date before marriage or whatever it was. And often it was about what you could and couldn't do as a woman. That line specifically just boiled my blood immediately because culture often is more destructive than religion. I mean, for example, you know, female genital mutilation, that's very much a cultural practice that doesn't have a basis in religion and is done in certain parts of the world. So culture... Also a practice in Gilead. Well, well, exactly. Yeah. You know, this is maybe where we're seeing culture starting to become a lot more horrible and taking over from any religious basis. Yeah. But using the performance of religion as yeah, the justification. Yeah, yeah, as the justification, yeah. Mm. yeah. In the whole dynamic of June and Serena, like she's trying to grab some moments with a, a side, Serena, what are you doing? Like at the, the first video presentation with the giant angel wings behind them, the video is there. I don't know if it's recording yet, but June is trying to say, Serena, <laughs> how many of these is he going to shoot? And she's just trying to get in her ear at any opportunity, yeah. as you would. Which is a really great thing about, like, I guess it's a um, about the handmaids being silenced because mm. in this episode, June was constantly at Serena. <laughs> Every moment she got, she was opening up her mouth and, you know, and, like, trying to push yeah. her side. And so by the end, you do think she really is showing exactly why they want their handmaid's silence. Yeah. Well, at their epic fight at the mm. Lincoln Memorial, Serena does say that I should have put a ring in your mouth when I, I first know. met you, which was horrible. Which Ooh. was one of the cruelest things I've ever heard her say. Yeah. I was yeah. actually shocked. She's clearly, I mean, in this episode, she's turned back to old Serena. We've yeah. got a lot, of, you know, a lot of up and down happening with Serena here and she's... Well, they both give as good as they get in they that do. Uh, interaction. Well, yeah, that was harsh. And when Nick comes in, as we've discussed, and has a little... Little pinky, <laughs> a little pinky. Which I'm like, you're on camera. Stop it, guys. <laughs> exactly. And I wondered about that. But also, and I'll allude to it again, like with the tapes, it gets out that the tape to Luke, the, the disclosures that um, June made last week, won't cry this time. People are aware of that. So I was thinking, do they know, does Fred know that the tape got out? Because there don't seem to be any consequences for June about that. But also maybe he knows and that's why he's being such a dick in this scene putting Nick up there and, you know, toying with them. Or did Torello hear it? Like, he obviously found it first. So did he have a listen before he passed it on and then passed it on to the Swiss? Da, 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 da. I was just wondering about the, the tape. I, I read that as the Swiss know because their intel in Canada knows because the tape was left behind in the room, as you mentioned, whereas mm. I don't think it's necessarily been shared with all of Gilead. Yes. I think that's very much a 
you know, on down low kind of knowledge. Yeah, mm. I was hoping that's the case. But also just Fred strutting and like a toying, go up there, Nick. Mm-hmm. Thank you, son. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he was very much peacocking this episode, wasn't yes, he? Yes, very cocksure and was the one what? I was going to use. But Actually, yeah. the both of them, they're, they're sort of re-energized by their victimhood. Like there's power in victimhood, right? And they're now victims and they're, they, they have this moral superiority because they've lost something and they can re-galvanize people in Gilead. And I think that's part of why we're seeing Serena turn because she's back in the fold she has buy-in again mm-hmm. um so this, this this is something she can use to they can both use to build their profile some more within gilead yeah yeah that's a really good point mm-hmm. and i was also wondering the way june performs with last week's live video i was just conscious of like if that if that video came out now everyone would be scrutinizing the behavior of the handmaid like <laughs> there would be seeing how surly she is in performing her duties it was interesting i was just wondering we haven't seen the response to what they're putting out there yet. That's right. But just the way she she obliges, but it's through gritted teeth and it's with a sideways death stare <laughs> to Fred Waterford. So, um, yeah, it was interesting the way she does reluctantly perform the duties. And with Fred's stage managing throughout here and the, the conscious of the image, he does say with uh, Winslow, the more we put out there, the more receptive they'll be. Like, let's just sort of flood flood the airwaves really with these pictures of shows of might, but also a ceremony. So clearly on the strength of that first one, the Swiss want to talk now and they want to talk to everyone and they want to talk to June on her own, which, as you alluded to, Fred, has some, has some reservations about that, as does Serena. And the idea of the silence here, like June has the power to speak now mm-hmm. with no one else in the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> she says some things. She sort of says... I want my baby to stay there and maybe you should talk to the father because they know it's Nick. Just a side point on that. Um, You know how she like orders those other two people out of the room? They looked quite young. They look like maybe they could be interns, which I found really funny (laughs) because Washington is run on interns. I was an intern in Washington. (laughs) And you don't get paid and it's cool and fun, but it's also, you know, a bit shitty. And yeah, it looked like she was kicking the interns out, which was really (laughs) funny to me. But uh, yeah, that was just something I noticed. That's great. (laughs) So do you think the Swiss know about... The Handmaid's Mouths in Washington? Well, they're in Washington. Oh, How but they're they always not? covered. So the Handmaids are always, their mouths are always covered. So True. I'm just wondering whether they actually know or not. And I thought June's, I thought June in that scene was very interesting because I think that I would be too tempted if I had my moment with them. I would suddenly just want to tell them everything, yep. <laughs> you know, whereas she clearly has her goal in mind and she was very savvy about it. But I'll be like, do you know what they're doing to women just in this state? You know, let alone in all of Gilead. I reckon they know, but they're having to play the diplomatic game. And, you know, they allude to the fact that Gilead's a very powerful country. Canada doesn't want to upset them. So they still, America Mm. slash Gilead still has this sway over people, no matter what horrible things they do in the world. Mm. And June does say to them, look, I don't expect you to feel sorry for me. It's more just, look, this is about what it's about. (laughs) It's about my daughter. She's not kidding herself that they're going to topple the regime Mm -hmm. while they're there. It's Switzerland. They are famously on both (laughs) sides. They're just there to resolve the the argument. So, yeah, a bit of a diss of the Swiss in this episode. (laughs) Um, And from that, then we have the Nick meeting. He comes to the Winslow house in the in the okay. head of the night. Can I just say what I had in my notes yep. for that? Um, and you'll, ha- you'll have to forgive me. <clears throat> I said, Nick looks so handsome. Ah! 
<laughs> oh, Natalie, I love that you're on Club Nick with me. It's so great. He did look handsome. He's got a very sharp jacket he on. Did. Great coat. Yeah, great yeah, coat, he hey, gives, with the he high neck. Great coat. Oh. Yep. And he, we got a nice, nice growly hay again. Hey, <laughs> sure yep. did. Sure did. But can I say about that scene where they're talking and June, you know, once they finish kissing and passing and blah, blah, um, June is basically, you know, trying to convince him and tell him he needs to go talk to them. And I was like, this is the mental load playing out in Gilead. She is organizing him. She is like tell- convincing him. You know, she's telling him what he needs to do and moving the chess pieces. The poor girl can't get a break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ideally, he would want to do it. He would want to keep their daughter over there, but he takes some convincing. And who knows what he actually says in the room. We don't, we're not in there for that. But it raises a good point. What is he doing to try and protect Nicole, because we see June busting her house. I mean, obviously, we're not with Nick as often as June, but what is he doing? Mm, that is a very pregnant question. <laughs> the guilt trip did seem to work, but did it? Did it? Yeah. I don't so, know. so I guess uh, you would think, why would he even go? Because he doesn't. He doesn't have to go mm. because um, he loves his daughter. Well, but also Lena, the Swiss diplomat, when June corners her later and she seems surprised by seeing June pop out from behind the pylon, we We won't be able able to do do business business with Mr. Mr. Lane. So obviously someone's gotten in her ear or he's not been as helpful as he could have been. Who knows? But for whatever reason, Nick, presumably saying, keep her there, his word's not as rock solid as June might have hoped. So on the strength of that and on the strength of June having that conversation with Serena about... Nick's origins and seeing him getting saluted by all the soldiers. Then we come to the big finale of this episode, which is huge. June is at the Lincoln Memorial. Well, what was the Lincoln Memorial? What remains of it? It's really just the lower torso of Lincoln. <laughs> so awful to see. Yeah, That's, right? That was a scary image, along with the you know Washington Monument as a cross. Yeah, just the symbol of Abraham Lincoln and what remains of it in Gilead. Well, it's, is. You know, what's funny is that because like, I've never been to Washington and what's weird to me is how affected I was by the Lincoln Memorial, something I have never seen, like a country that I don't really have a connection to at all, which just sort of says how much it appears in movies and just how revered it is. And I, I just watched Night at the Museum with my son <laughs> recently and Lincoln Memorial is is in that where like mm. it actually comes alive and it's just such, it's, it's amazing for it. I know it's very large, but it also looms very large, you know, Mm. so I was affected by it. Yeah, and I've only seen it in movies and TV as well. I've not actually been to Washington and I thought of the Simpsons episode when, (laughs) you know, Lisa goes to Washington for the speech competition and she is, her eyes are awakened to all the corruption and there is a scene at the (laughs) Lincoln Memorial where... Yeah, yeah, it's it's just a kind of a key scene in in movies. It, you know, it's a symbol of America, the Lincoln yeah, Memorial. Yeah. It's a symbol of progress and yeah, abolishment of slavery. Yeah, that's so. right. I was going to say that scene is particularly poignant um, after the fight between June and Serena, when June is sort of sobbing at the feet of Lincoln because you know Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation and, mm. and freed the slaves, and here is June now held captive in this country. Yeah. That once was free. And on that, we mentioned the caged birds before. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking of Maya Angelou back then with ah, the caged bird yes. poem. I know why the caged bird sings. So then to have Abraham Lincoln, symbol of abolition of slavery. Yeah, I think that's kind of a maybe a nod back to the caged birds we saw earlier in their episode. And it's also, it feels mm. like a warning about how cyclical, like human politics and nature can be. Like we easily forget hard-won freedoms and we get complacent and then things go back again to totalitarianism and it just felt really scary yeah basically and back to the lincoln memorial there is a a noticeable shot at that point of lincoln's left hand yes which 
is very symbolic because, as I understand, the right hand of the Lincoln statue is is open and it and it symbolizes the compassion and peace of his presidency. But the right hand is closed and it's a fist, and that's meant to represent the power and strength of his presidency. And and, yeah. and they chose to show the right hand and the fist. And I, I thought that, that was quite meaningful. Well, the other one's gone. Yeah, June notices it and that seems to signal a change in her in the end there. It's great, yeah. And here is where, of course, that epic fight with Serena and June happens. And as Serena walks up, she observes, that's, that's nice. nice, the silence. The silence. And uh, June, as a knee-jerk reaction, says, you, you could return, return the favour. As in, shut up. But also, like, literally, you could return that favour I <laughs> called on you for last week. I, I do like the way the coded use of really loaded language in this episode, like that one particularly struck at me. But they go at it. You will not let her go because I love her. This isn't love. You can't love. You don't know how. Serena, you you built this whole world just so that you could have someone. But it didn't work. You're small. You're cruel. And you're empty. You're small, you're cruel, you're empty. Which I think was, she means both in the emotional sense and in the baby oh, sense. Oh, yeah, it yeah. worked. And it worked Ooh, on all levels. Gotcha. Yeah. Horrifying. Which, I mean, yeah, they're both, like, the claws are exposed in this one. They are going at it. June ends with saying, I should let you burn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good one. The way Serena does a 180 on us whenever we're starting to empathise with her or whenever June is starting to empathise with her, I think, is the one reliable dynamic in the relationship between Serena and June. So I have hope that this is one of those flips and we'll slowly see June crawl back some empathy with Serena in episodes to come. I haven't lost hope. Then Serena obviously marches off <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. in a huff and June has the time there and observes the, hand, the fist and goes out to, she walks out to what is essentially a remake of Triumph of the Will. I mean, the way they have them assembled, the way Fred has manufactured the way that the handmaids are all assembled there in front of the, now a crucifix, but what we recognise as the Washington Monument, and this very public presentation of prayer. The way this plays out and the silence now, literal silence, June can't speak, so it's all her body language here, and importantly it ends with silence, this episode. The way we started was with Martha's praying in individual prayer. We end with Fred and Serena leading a group prayer. And prayer is usually call and response. <laughs> there is no response. Fred is making the call, but it's a silent response. But Fred has also placed June in a leadership position here yes. over the handmaids, mm. which is exactly what he probably doesn't want. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she uses that to like push a little bit by, you know, being hesitant to actually bow down. But the other thing I wanted to say about that is June begins the show in her voiceover saying, as long as they're praying, I know Nicole is safe. Yes. But at the end, that seems less so because they're stepping up the pressure through prayer and through this, you know, <laughs> public display in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And so what she said at the beginning seems less certain now. I don't know. Whether- Although she also makes the point that, like, she's praying for something decidedly different to what they are. Yeah. And I think she knows what the handmaids are all praying for in front of her. So there's That's more true. of them than there are of <laughs> Fred and Serena at that point. Yeah. But it absolutely connects with that. I, I think it's great. Mm. I thought that moment was going to be a Mayday moment for a while. Then. All right. Wow. Because when the camera went 
actually into the handmaids who were praying and for some reason it was kind of showing hands shuffling underneath their cloaks and I thought, ooh, something, is something going to happen? Is this going to be like a big explosion? Mm. And, then it, and then it wasn't. <laughs> Very silent, muted one, yes. I mean, well, quite literally in all respects. But the way June pauses and I think she's, a, she's getting her bearings, but also she's testing how much power she has in this moment. Fred looks to her, yeah. Serena looks to her, the handmaids look to her, and then they follow. So, yeah, it's a little bit of a, let's just let's just see mm-hmm. here. Like I said at the start of the episode, I think there's a little bit of foreshadowing happening here of June as leader. Yes. I know. <laughs> and we spoke last week about how the end music often foreshadows what's going to happen coming up. I don't know if we got a Bloody Sunday kind of situation here, but the end credits here... We're just a f- like the, the audio of a flagpole. Yeah. Yep. Did you notice that? Mm. Yep. Also, maybe f- the flap of their capes as well. Like, are, are they sort of a... So silence, yeah, mm. pretty much. Yeah, and very importantly, because June normally ends it with a monologue or, or there's a song or there's some mm. sort of reference to her headspace at this point. The fact that it's silenced, because literally she is silenced, is, yeah, it's very telling. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now that is the end of six. So, oh, my God, we're up to episode seven. Time for predictions. Who wants to start with this one? Sunny, you look deep in thought. Okay, so I feel like what we're seeing right now is the way the arc of a movie plays out. Like, you know, the character starts on a high, then it dips down low, and then it comes back up again for the grand finale. And I think we're at the middle dip right now for June and for Serena. So I think there's a bit of action to come, a bit of argy-pargy, <laughs> and I'm hoping a gradual upswing in, you know, the situation that June finds herself in. That's, that's mm-hmm. what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. Natalie. Well, the two characters that I'm now really intrigued by and want more of is actually Fred and Serena. I hate them and I love them. <laughs> um, and so Serena in this, I think there's going to be a lot of conversation and I I'm, I'm just can't wait to hear what everyone's reactions are because Serena has always pushed our buttons and especially with her fight with June, she was really, she was back in form of evil Serena, you know. Um, yeah. I think people are still not sure. I think we all are still not sure. I think, that, I think that's why she is so fascinating. Like It's kind of like um, the last sort of big bad female character was Cersei in Game of Thrones. Sorry to keep talking about the show. <laughs> but I think Serena is actually better. I think the way that her character is written is actually more interesting and more meaty because mm. you actually really do feel compassion for her in a way that Cersei always just seems straight up evil. <laughs> no matter how much they tried to say she loved her children, I always found that hard to believe. But with Serena, they really do push the vulnerability. They really do push the compassion. We really have seen a lot that you can like about her. But in this episode, a lot of that a lot of that was stripped back. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't know where they're going with her. I don't know. I don't know what she's going to do. So and that is so fascinating to watch, and I love it. But um, her face when they walked out to the uh, the mall there, that she right. was loving it. Yes, this is what I mean about <laughs> she's found power and victimhood, mm. and she's back in, and she has buy-in again because mm. she was like, "I'm on top here." And Mrs. Winslow noted the book, like she said, yeah. "I love you." Well, you know, her ego's not bad. Absolutely, she's loving Washington. June has been trying so hard this season to bring Serena to a point of being able to basically see handmaids as people. And we got a glimpse of that back in Amy Putman's house when after poor Janine got beaten by Aunt Lydia and and um, Serena said, poor Naomi. And June was like, poor Naomi? And which was just a sign of, of where Serena's empathy always lies. And so in this one, again, isn't it amazing that you can actually see the, you can see the handmaids and you can see how they have been silenced so brutally and yet that has not horrified her back into trying to keep her daughter out. Like, 
she was actually really straight up kind of evil for me in this <laughs> episode. But I have not lost hope because she is so interesting. She's interesting to watch. So I don't know where that's going. So I'm just so fascinated to see how this all plays out. The other thing, though, mm-hmm. that I really liked was that um, Fred was sort of getting a Me Too moment. In yes. This, in this, a in bit this of sexual harassment happening. Yeah. And I actually, I had a bit of a hat tip to the writers. I actually think that I just like that um, there was a complete power imbalance between the two of them, that Winslow dangled a promotion in front of him, but very clearly but covertly said there will be a price that you'll have to pay for this. Mm. And Fred is in some ways stuck because he can't complain about it because nothing really happened. He doesn't have any bruises. There's no need for a rape kit. Like there's nothing, you know, he hasn't actually been assaulted, but there was clearly something at play there. And I kind of liked that they have put a man in that position and they've put Fred in that position. Totally. I hope it wasn't an accident. Um, <laughs> I want to see more of that. <laughs> I, I saw it more as it's a dance between the two of them. Like, really? I, I, yeah, I, I don't think Fred minds. Oh, I thought, no, I thought it was totally the guy was gearing up to mm-hmm. to make a play or do something that Fred had, you know, and it put Fred in a position he has never found himself in before. And the show is so careful about everything. Nothing is ever an mm-hmm. accident. And so when Commander Winslow went to take his pull shot and then he was leaning over and he was leaning right into Fred's space. <laughs> his and mm-hmm. Fred, right up in there. Yeah. And Fred was like, he was a bit taken aback, you know, like he was a little bit shocked and didn't know how to deal with that. And we all know that Fred is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. So so <laughs> Fred sounds like he's still gunning for this Washington pr- like promotion. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure that he really understands. Well, yeah, but then when it's Fred's turn, he nails that shot. He gets it in. And I wondered, how do they shoot that? Like, is incredible pool player? Yeah, yeah, or was that some robotics? Who knows? But uh, yeah, it, uh, when it was his turn, it was like, all right, he has focus. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if he minded. He's really enjoying that tea party in the scene that follows. Yeah. Like he's, he's giddy with excitement when he comes and asks for sugar. <laughs> well, and Serena notices that. So that's more the point of this is how their storyline could be quite perfectly played out. Which I is did actually laugh out loud, by the way, in that scene. And I, I don't laugh in this show. like So I can't believe in the one episode where I really cried, I also actually laughed out loud. And that was because Commander Winslow said something about tea, which would be like... You'll never taste a better cup of tea. And I'm like... <laughs> He was not talking about tea. And do you know what? His powerful position in Gilead and all those children could be a good cover if he is, in fact, a gay man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like he's, he's compensating oh, yeah. in many pious ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. For sure. So it's plausible. Mm. Heidi, what about you? What do you think is destined for episode seven? Uh, we've, we've had um, Chicago dangled in front of us for many episodes now and there was a comment in this episode from Nick that he was just about to be dispatched. So I'm hoping to see... Chicago. I'm, I'm not sure if they're holding out to bring that in later in the series in a more dramatic way, but mm. I'm just hanging out to see. Well, we sort of did get vision of him being deployed, I think. Yeah, yeah then we, we saw the soldiers. Yeah. 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 So for me, well, I think we're staying in Washington for a bit. I think those these new characters, but yeah, we may have an aside. Who knows? I don't know that. Lydia, for me, oh. I think her, <laughs> I always come back to Lydia. She said she was pumped at the start there. And at the end, she's saying how tired she is. It's only been a couple of days. Yeah, that's but true. Yeah, she's, yeah. she's deflated because she does not like what she sees or it's uncomfortable to her, this new incarnation of the brutality of Gilead. So I want to see more of her always. But otherwise, I think we're, we're staying put in Washington for a little bit to get more of a read on these Winslows and the impact they might have on Fred, who is very much enjoying what he's seeing. And the silence of the women is something that I think he would be very much on board for. 
So thank you for listening. We hope that helped. <laughs> that takes care of episode six. I'd particularly like to thank my co-hosts, uh, Sana Kadar, Natalie Hambly and Haiti Island. We love hearing your comments about this show and about this podcast. And uh, if you do reach out on Twitter, use the hashtag EyesOnGilead. If you do, you can find me on Twitter at AnythingButFifi. Sana, where can we find you? At Sana underscore Kadar. Natalie? At Natalie Hambly. Haiti? At Haiti Island. And remember to use the hashtag EyesOnGilead. And uh, feel free to leave feedback and give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts from. It helps other people to find the show. For more Handmaid's coverage, you can head to SBS Guide where you'll find some other recommendations for things to watch as you await the next episode. Speaking of which, new episodes of The Handmaid's Tale Season 3 premiere every Thursday on SBS and at SBS On Demand. And we can't wait. Eyes on Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, with audio editing and mixing by Jeremy Wilmot. You don't own me, I'm not your If I can help just one person, that's enough. Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down.